Good morning. If we haven't met, uh, my name is Scott, and I tell you that because I want to get to know you, and I'm glad you're here, and if you've forgotten who I am because I was on vacation, that's my name. Now, if you have a Bible with you, I want to invite you to open it up to the last book of that Bible, the book of Revelation. As we continue on in our series with the title, Underestimated, and if you're just joining us, let me just explain what that word means. We're we're looking at a series of messages from the Lord Jesus to his churches, seven churches in particular in, in the book of Revelation, but they really are representative of all of his churches. And when we compare what Jesus thinks of churches to what typically people in our world, including maybe sometimes us, what we think of churches, uh, we find that we tend not to value the worth, the significance, the uh, potential of churches the way Jesus does. Jesus values his churches, just like this one. You know, what's a church? It's basically a group of people who've chosen to follow Jesus and then they band together to, to, to worship him, to uh, experience his work in their lives, to make a difference in the world by doing what he's said, his, his command to make disciples, and that's really what this Mission to Vancouver thing is all about. Uh, Jesus values his churches very highly, and if he does, then, then if we profess to trust him and follow him, then we ought to value churches as well. And so today we're coming to the sixth of the seven messages to the seven churches, and we're in Revelation chapter 3, beginning at verse 7, his message to the church in Philadelphia, not Pennsylvania, but the original Philadelphia, which is where the one in Pennsylvania is named after. And so chapter 3, beginning at verse 7. So hear now the word of the Lord. And to the angel of the church in Philadelphia, write, The words of the Holy One, the True One, who has the key of David, who opens and no one will shut, who shuts and no one opens. I know your works. Behold, I have set before you an open door which no one is able to shut. I know that you have but little power. And yet, you have kept my word and have not denied my name. Behold, I will make those of the synagogue of Satan who say that they are Jews and are not, but lie. Behold, I will make them come and bow down before your feet, and they will learn that I have loved you. Because you have kept my word about patient endurance, I will keep you from the hour of trial that is coming on the whole world to try those who dwell on the earth. I am coming soon. Hold fast what you have so that no one may seize your crown. The one who conquers, I will make him a pillar in the temple of my God. Never shall he go out of it. And I will write on him the name of my God and the name of the city of my God, the new Jerusalem, which comes down from my God out of heaven and my own new name. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. One of the first things 
I think we need to notice here is that good churches have problems. This was a really good church, this church in Philadelphia. It wasn't a perfect church because there is no such thing. Churches are made up of people. There's no such thing as perfect people. Therefore, there's no such thing as a perfect church. But this, this was a good church. This church was faithful to Jesus. He says they've, they've kept his word. They, they've trusted him. They're obeying him. They're being faithful to him. And, and really, unlike most of the other seven churches that we read about in Revelation 2 and 3, these guys had no big issue of disobedience that, that Jesus needed to correct. And yet, this faithful, obedient church was having serious trouble. I don't know if, if you believe that if you trust Jesus and love him and are faithful to him and obey him, that he won't let anything bad happen to you or you'll never have any big trouble. Uh, you know, I don't know. You might think that kind of very consciously and openly, or maybe it's just kind of, you know, one of those secret beliefs that lurks in your heart somewhere. But if you think that, you need to stop. Because it's not true. Jesus never promised his followers that we won't ever have any big problems. In fact, he said exactly the opposite. He said, in this world, you will have trouble, tribulation. And this church was experiencing that. Uh, verse 10 talks about patient endurance. Think about that. When, when do you need to endure? I, thinking over my life, I can't think of a single time when life's gone really well that I've talked about enduring that. Man, that was a great Thanksgiving dinner. That was fantastic. I really endured that. That sure was fun, going to the lake, being on vacation. Man, that was fun. I really, I endured it. No, we don't do that. What do we endure? Bad times, hard times, patient endurance. And they were going through that. Apparently, they were experiencing a fair amount of hostility from their local community, uh, particularly from members of the local synagogue. Now, probably what was happening here, because this happened many times in many cities throughout where the early church was getting going, that uh, the Jewish leadership in town probably considered these Jews to be uh, traitors for becoming Christians. And they said, okay, well, if you're going to uh, proclaim that Jesus is our Messiah, then you're not welcome. And they were excluded from the synagogue. Try to imagine that for a minute. Try to imagine being kicked out of the place where you had learned about God, where you had worshipped God, where you had enjoyed the company of God's people. You, you can't come anymore. You're not welcome. The door has been shut because they would not deny Jesus as Lord. How do you suppose that made those Christians feel? Do you think they felt happy 
that they were uh, being obedient to the Lord, that they were, they were doing what he wanted, they were remaining faithful to him, doing the right thing? Do you think they were happy that they stayed true in spite of opposition? Maybe. I think the main thing they felt was weak. I think they felt weak. Jesus says to them in verse 8, I know that you have but little power. That tells me they felt inadequate. Inadequate to do the job that Jesus had given them. The job of of carrying out his mission, um, being his witnesses, telling people the good news, loving their enemies, telling the gospel to people who didn't want to hear it. I think that when it came to being the church of Jesus Christ in Philadelphia, I think they felt they weren't up to the task. They couldn't, it was more than they could handle. They just were not strong enough to get it done. That is a terrible feeling. It's a terrible feeling to know that there is something, to believe that there is something that God wants you to do. There's something you need to do, you should do, and yet be convinced you just can't do it. Let me list a few for instances. Maybe it's providing for your family. You know, you should. You know, God wants you to provide for your family, and yet you just can't find a good job. Maybe you lack the qualifications. Maybe you lack the opportunity. For whatever reason, you just can't seem to get it done. Or or maybe there's a broken relationship in your life, and you want to fix it. And yet, no matter what you try to do to fix that broken relationship, it just doesn't happen. Or, maybe there are people in your life, there probably are people who need to know Jesus. And yet, every effort you make to try to reach out, to have the conversation, to just share the gospel with them, your efforts just fall flat. Or, maybe you realize that what really needs to happen in your life is you need to change you. You got some bad habit or some bad attitude that really needs to change or you know there's something in your life that you need, to, you need to do differently. There's some good things you need to do, but you keep failing. Whatever it is, whatever it is that, that you think needs to happen in your life, that, that there's something that, that needs to change or something you need to do, you feel inadequate, you feel weak, you feel incompetent, you have but little power. And it's so, at times, you're just tempted to give up. Maybe that's how you feel today. It's like, why, why should I keep trying? I try and I try and I try. I'm doing the best I can, it seems, and my best is never good enough. I keep failing. Nothing I do makes any difference, so why keep trying? That is called despair. And it is a terrible 
feeling. And if you're at all familiar with that feeling, I am so glad you're here because the Lord of the churches has a message for you. Would you please notice how Jesus deals with these people who have been faithful to him but have very little power to change their situation? Will you notice that Jesus does not criticize them for lacking power? He doesn't say, you have a little power, and that's a huge problem. Now, you need to fix that. He doesn't scold them for being inadequate. What he does is redirect their attention away from their inability and place it on something else. His ability. He doesn't call them to greater effort. Try harder. He calls them to a different focus. And and this is huge. This is so important. Because this, this is what faith looks like when you're tempted to despair. A looking away from yourself and your inability and looking instead to Jesus and his, in, his ability. So here's the, here's the point. If you feel weak, if you feel inadequate, if you feel like you don't measure up, well, in the first place, congratulations that you see reality because you are weak, you are inadequate, and you don't measure up. But if you're tempted to despair, don't. Don't despair at the strength you lack. Do something else. Delight in, place your confidence in, put your hope in the strength Jesus has. Uh, If you grew up in a home with a good dad, or if you didn't have a good dad, maybe you had a, a grandpa or, you know, some other guy, uncle, somebody, did you ever, when you were a kid, ever feel your dad's muscles when you were little and go, wow, my dad is so strong? Those were good days when my kids were small and And thought that, man, my dad can do it. It, What did it do? It gave you confidence when you felt your dad's muscles. Okay, you know what we're going to do today? We're going to feel Jesus' muscles, so to speak. We are going to feel Jesus' muscles so that we can be confident. We can be confident that our inadequacy is not a problem if we will choose to rely instead on his strength. How strong is Jesus? How strong is Jesus? He has the strength no one can resist. No one can resist his strength. No one can uh, successfully oppose his strength. Nobody. No matter who you might run up against in this world, human or supernatural, no matter how big, how numerous, how powerful, Jesus is always stronger. 
Because of who he is. Now, he says, this is the point of verse 7. Jesus says he is the Holy One, the true one. Now, this is going to sound outrageous to you if you've never heard this before. Most of you have probably heard this before, but in case you haven't, this is going to be a little outrageous. Jesus, when he says that, he's claiming to be God. That's what he's saying. Because when the writers of Scripture, when the biblical writers say the Holy One, that's who they're talking about, without exception. So, Hosea 11.9, I am God and not a man, the Holy One in your midst. Isaiah 47.4, a Redeemer, the Lord of hosts is His name, is the Holy One of Israel. Isaiah 40.25, to whom then will you compare me that I should be like Him, says the Holy One. Holy does not simply mean God is without sin. It means he's without equal. And that's what Jesus is saying. There, there's no one else like me. Which means the strength of Jesus is the strength of God. Now, just let that sink in for a minute. The strength of Jesus is the strength of God kind of seems like that should be the end of the discussion. Hey, how strong is Jesus? Well, he's God. He's the creator. All the power of all the stars in all the galaxies, including our sun, which as you may have noticed is pretty hot because we're feeling it from 93 million miles away. All the power in the entire universe is at his disposal. That ought to settle the issue. But just in case, you know, that's a little too out there, that's a little too lofty, just wrap our minds around, there's more. It also says Jesus has the key of David. And what that means is he has the authority to rule over this world as God's chosen king. See, he's not just God, he's also man. And he's the man with the greatest authority. So I don't know who in your mind you think has the greatest authority in this world, but whoever it is, Jesus is above him or her. God promised David that his descendant, Messiah, would ultimately rule the nations, all the nations, all of them. So see, the power of Jesus isn't just out there in space somewhere. He has the authority to rule over anyone and anything on this planet. Now, if that's still too abstract for us, he says this. What he opens, no one can shut. And what he shuts, no one can open. You ever had anybody, you know, just like really tighten a lid on a jar and you couldn't get it open? It's really irritating. Um, this just happened to me the other day. <clears throat> on the back of our jet ski, there's these drain plugs to let the water out. Well, I'd forgotten to put them in, so they were letting the water in. That's bad. <clears throat> so I had a friend help, and, and he tightened one of them for me. And the gorilla tightened it so tightly, <laughs> I'm not as strong as he is, and I couldn't get it off. And I had to go get pliers. It was really annoying. Um, what Jesus shuts, nobody can open. What he opens, nobody can shut. 
Forget the pliers. You can't do it. His strength is utterly irresistible. Now, what does he do with this irresistible strength? Well, he says, I've opened a door. He's opened a door for his people. Does that seem kind of underwhelming? Kind of lame, sort of? Open a door? How hard is that? Well, it depends on the door, doesn't it? Some doors, like the, at the vault of the bank, pretty tough to open. If you don't have the key, you don't have the combination or whatever, you're not opening it. Some doors are really hard to open. And I want you to think about this. Imagine how much this meant to the Christians there in Philadelphia who'd been kicked out of the synagogue. They must have felt like they had been shut out of God's house. The door has been closed and they are not allowed to open it. They can't open it. And Jesus says, look, don't fret about that. Don't fret about that closed door. I've opened a door for you. The door to my father's house. The door to my kingdom. And nobody's going to shut it. Jesus has done that for every single one of us. He has opened the door to God's kingdom. And nobody's shutting it. We just have to walk through it. His strength is irresistible. It's not lame. It's awesome. An open door. What, what, a, what a picture. This open door to the kingdom, to the house of God, and we're invited in and nobody's going to shut it because Jesus opened it and you can't shut what he opened. How strong is Jesus? Second, he has the strength to soften the hardest hearts. He has the strength to soften the hardest hearts. There is a saying in the book of Proverbs, and I've seen this confirmed again and again. It goes like this. A brother offended is more unyielding than a strong city, a fortified city. A brother or a sister offended is more unyielding than a strong city. In other words, when somebody who knows you pretty well has decided that you're a jerk, you'd have an easier time conquering a well-armed city than changing their opinion about you. Softening hard hearts is more difficult than winning a military battle. Some of you know exactly what I'm talking about. Jesus can do it. In fact, Jesus has already done it in your life. If you have come to the place of putting your trust in Him and receiving Him into your life to forgive you and to lead you because at one time your heart was hard. Because that's our natural condition. Naturally on our own, we want to be God of our lives. We want to call the shots. We want to decide, we want to decide what's right and wrong for us. And so we harden our hearts to God, we ignore Him, we dishonor Him, we reject Him. That's what Isaiah 53.6 is talking about. All we like sheep have gone astray. 
we have turned, look at this, we have turned everyone to his own way. Oh, that's the way God wants me to go? Okay, I'm going this way. We've all done that. And then Jesus, the good shepherd, comes along and he calls us. John 10, 27. My sheep hear my voice and I know them and they follow me. If you've said yes to Jesus, he's already softened your hard heart. Oh, but maybe there's somebody in your life whose heart is ultra hard. They're not interested in Jesus. They're not even willing to discuss the matter. They think he's a fake. He's a deceiver. He's a myth. He's something else. They think Christians are idiots. They think Christianity is a farce. Well, that's pretty much what those who opposed the Philadelphian church thought. They thought these Christians were traitors to God. They thought it was blasphemy to call Jesus Lord. They were truly offended brothers. And yet one day, look at it, one day Jesus says they're going to come and they're going to fall down and they're going to say, we were wrong. You were right. The love of Jesus is real, and you have it. Don't despair. Don't despair at your inability to convince somebody that Jesus is Lord. Don't despair. You don't have that power. You never had that power. If you've had the privilege of leading anybody to Jesus... Jesus used you. He softened their heart. I think that maybe if we would pray for people as much as we fret about people, we might see Jesus do some pretty amazing things. Don't fret about your inability. Take take them to Jesus. How strong is Jesus... He has the strength to get you through the hardest times. He has strength to get you through the hardest times. Verse 10. Because you have kept my word about patient endurance, I will keep you from the hour of trial that is coming on the whole world to try or to test those who dwell on the earth. All right, I don't know if you know this, but this verse tends to be one of the verses people use when they're talking about what's called the the Great Tribulation, this future event, and uh, when God's wrath will be poured out on the world and it's going to be this awful time. And and the issue is, well, when is that going to happen? And and what about the church? What about Christians? Are we going to get, you know raptured before that happens or in the middle of when that's happening or the end of when that's happening? I mean, what, and so this is, this is a verse that gets discussed in that. A lot of debate. I'm not going to settle it here. (laughs) Because I don't think that's the point. The point is, Jesus has the power to get these people through the worst time in their lives, and he's going to do it. That's the point. He's going to get them through it. Isn't that what you need to know when life gets really hard? You know, depending on how old you are, 
you may or may not have experienced that life can get really, really hard. Really hard. And what do you need to know at those times? You need to know that Jesus has the strength to get you through it and that he wants to. He does. On both accounts. Earlier I quoted John 16, 33, where Jesus says, in this world you will have trouble. Let's look at the whole verse. I have told you these things so that in me you may have peace. In this world you will have trouble, but take heart, I have overcome the world. He's overcome the world for you. He's overcome the world for me. He's overcome the world for anybody who trusts him. No matter how ugly it gets, and it can get so very ugly. No matter how desperate you may feel, no matter how hopeless things look, if you put your life in Jesus' hands, listen, your future is good. It's phenomenal. Your future is phenomenal. You have not yet experienced your best days. None of us. No matter how great your life has been, or no matter how terrible it's been, or how terrible it is right now, your best days are still ahead of you if you know Jesus and put your life in his hands. Romans 8.38, For I am sure that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. He has the strength to get you through the very worst. I don't mean that glibly, because the worst can be really hard. But Jesus can get you through it. One more. How strong is Jesus? He has the strength to make you his forever. This, this follows right on the previous one. He has the strength to make you his forever. Okay, so verse 12. The one who conquers, I will make him a pillar in the temple of my God. Never shall he go out of it. And I will write on him the name of my God, the name of the city of my God, the new Jerusalem which comes down from my God out of heaven, and my own new name. Wow, these, po- these symbols are amazing. They are powerful. What are they symbols of? You think, pillar? Why, why would it want to be a pillar? That's weird. A pillar in the temple of God. You know what this means? It means you're going to have a secure place in the very presence of God, and you are never, ever, ever going to have to leave. Ever. And you're there. Boom. I don't know if you ever have worried about this. I have. Man, what if I get to heaven, and I'm there in the presence of God, and I do something stupid? (laughs) And he's going to throw me out. No. Never. Will never happen. Pillar in the very temple of God, very presence of God. You're not going to do something stupid and get thrown out. When Jesus says you're in, you're in. You are in. And then these names, Jesus writes on those who overcome. What's that? That's a symbol of ownership. I meant to bring one of the books out of my library and I forgot. But if you go into my library, 
and open up the books, on the front page, all of them have a stamp. It says, from the library of Scott G. Roberson. That's me. (laughs) Why do I do that? Because they're my books. And if you borrow one of my books, which I'm happy for you to do, that's great. But I want you to remember where it came from, whose it is, because ultimately I would like to get that back. We write our names on our stuff. We write our names on the things that are important to us, that are valuable to us. And that's what you are to Jesus. If you've put your trust in him. It's like he takes a stamp and he puts that stamp. And it says three things. It says, uh, let's see where I write this. Property of God. Citizen of God's city. Bought and paid for by God's son. Jesus puts his name on the things he treasures. And if you put your trust in him, you're one of his things. When he makes you his, he makes you his forever. Okay, all right. But maybe none of this is comforting you at all. Because of those words in verse 12, the one who conquers, or the one who overcomes. And that's not comforting to you because you're thinking, that's the problem. I'm not conquering, I'm not overcoming. I'm too weak. I'm too stupid to overcome. I can't do the things I need to do. I want to say this kindly, but very specifically and pointedly, if that's what you're thinking right now, you're completely missing the point. The point is, these people have little power, and Jesus has lots of power, infinite power, which he exerts on their behalf. He's not going to tell them all that and say, okay, now it's all up to you, and how hard you try. Sure, I've told you how very strong I am, and I've told you how very weak you are, but too bad your destiny rests on you and your strength and your ability. Sure hope you can pull it off. That makes no sense. That's not what he's saying. How do we conquer? How do we overcome? Not by our efforts, but by relying on His His death on the cross, His resurrection, and all that He has promised and will do now and in the future. That's what overcoming means. That's what conquering means. Relying on Jesus instead of yourself. Put your confidence in Him. Trust Him. Depend on Him. You have but little power. He knows that. So, don't rely on your power. Rely on His. Ask him for his. He wants to exert his strength for you. Ask him for his help. Trust his promises. Follow his directions. 
feel his muscles rest in him. Why wouldn't we do that? Why don't we do that when we don't do that? Pride, maybe? Maybe we're just too proud? The problem's not really that we're too weak. The problem is we're too proud to admit that we can't do it, and we're not willing to give full control to Jesus. Or maybe it's fear. I'm afraid Jesus really doesn't want to help me. Or I'm afraid that if I give him full control, he might make me do something weird. Either way, let's see it for what it is. Whether it's pride or fear or something else, let's see it for what it is. Let's see what the problem is. The problem is not a lack of strength. It's a lack of trust. That's the problem. The solution is not to try harder to make yourself stronger. The solution is to put your trust in him instead of in you. So you don't ever use the excuse, oh, I'm just too weak. I'm just too weak. I just, I'm not adequate. I, I can't do what Jesus wants me to do because I'm just too weak. That's never the problem. That is never the problem. The problem is, I just don't want to trust him. So the way to overcome is to make a choice. To choose to believe. Initially and then daily, moment by moment, as often as necessary, to choose to believe that Jesus has the strength you need that he is completely good, that he is completely committed to flexing his muscles on your behalf for your good forever. That's a choice. I'm either going to look at myself or I'm going to look at my church and I'm going to despair. See, it'd be really easy as a church to say, oh, we can't do that. We're, we're too weak. We, we just don't have it. We don't have what it takes. I can choose to look at me. I can choose to look at you. We can choose to look at one another. We can choose to look at ourselves and despair. Or we can choose to look at Jesus and go, man, those muscles. He's got all the strength I need. And he's willing to exert all his strength for me. I know that can be really hard to believe sometimes. That's why we have each other. To remind each other. Because there'll be days when I have a really hard time believing that and I need you to tell me that. Or vice versa. Let's tell ourselves that. Isaiah chapter 40, verses 28 through 31. I want us to say this together. Let's say this to one another. Okay, will you say it with me? Here we go. Have you not known, have you not heard, the Lord is the everlasting God, the creator of the ends of the earth. He does not faint or grow weary. His understanding is unsearchable. He gives power to the faint, and to him who has no might, he increases strength. Even youths shall faint. 
and be weary, and young men shall fall exhausted, but they who wait for the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings like eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. Let's pray. Oh, Lord Jesus, I pray for myself and for everyone in this room who is tempted, maybe came in today feeling very inadequate, very weak, and they're on the edge of despair. Lord, will you redirect our attention, our focus, and get it off ourselves and on you. And let us see that you have put all of your strength You have promised to exert it for our good. In your timing, which is often not ours, but you have promised. And Father, if there's anybody in this room who has yet to say yes to Jesus, may today be the day. Will you soften their heart? Will you call them to be one of your sheep? To follow you, the good shepherd. Help us encourage one another with the truth of how strong you are. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen.